From the Transport Workers Union Air Division offices in Colleyville, Texas, it's the TWU Air Division podcast with Strategic Action Coordinator Brian Parker. Join Brian as he discusses issues that affect the careers and lives of Air Division members. Take it away, Brian. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. I'm your host, Brian Parker. Joining me on the show today is Kevin Smith. Kevin is the local president of the TW Local 525. He's also an international rep for the Air Division for all service contracts. Welcome to the show today, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, hope you're having a good day down there in Florida. Hope the weather's going good. It's uh, nice and warm here. Nice and warm. Beautiful. Uh, let's get started. I want to ask you a few questions, if you would. I appreciate you joining us again. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about Kevin Smith, Local 525, and who all you represent? Uh, Local 525 represents about 22 different uh, contracts within the service division. Uh, we have anything from airlines to municipality busing and, and servicing. And the majority of my contracts center around NASA and Cape Canaveral Air Station, providing launch services and uh, facilities maintenance at, at all those stations. Let's talk a little bit about NASA. Let's stay on that. I know it's kind of a, a hot ticket item for you right now. What's going on at NASA? Uh, one of our contracts out there is a, a, a service that provides NASA with fire protection and uh, emergency services for all the manned space flight on Kennedy Space Center. And uh, we've had that particular contract for probably a little upwards of over 60 years. We've been there since manned space flight took, uh, took off. And uh, we've had that contract and uh, proudly represented fire services and other divisions within that area for many, many years. Wow. How many firemen do you have there? On that particular area, we have about 76. And that range goes up and down depending on uh, the services provided and what kind of launch uh, facilities we have at the time right now. It's about 76 people. Okay. Now, I know you provide services for NASA, but do you do things like the local municipalities, like if you have... uh... One alarm, two alarm, three alarm fire. Do you support others as well, or is it just NASA? Right. I, we don't have any contracts with municipalities in the area, but most fire departments in any locality throughout the country has what they call mutual aid. So when you hear like a, a one alarm fire or a two alarm fire, sometimes that can be different companies and different municipalities all responding to a call. So if we get in a position at Kennedy Space Center or Cape Canaveral Air Station, uh, we could have other agencies come in and help. That's called mutual aid. And in the same token, if they have something in, in an area that's located uh, adjacent to our property, we can also help respond to a forest fire outside of NASA may have NASA firefighters working on it or a forest fire within NASA property may have one of the city municipalities coming in to help. So we, uh, we help each other out quite a bit. Oh, that's good. That's good. So who's actually your employer? The employer for that is a company called Chenega Infinity. Chenega Infinity is, uh, has had the contract for a, a couple of years now, uh, and their actual name is Chenega Infinity. It's a corporation based out of Alaska, and they call themselves an ANC, uh, and that's an, an Alaskan native corporation. It's a big company. It's a big, big company with a lot of money in the bank, a lot of employees, but yet they tout themselves as a small business, and because they are an Alaskan native company, they are allowed to fall within those small business ranks by not really being a small business. So they get a helping hand from the government quite a bit. Okay. And uh, so I guess the laws are set up to protect them in that regard, you know, to where they get benefits that maybe other corporations don't get. 
They do. They they get things that any, any Alaska Native company or, or American Native company might get being uh, they would consider themselves a, a minority-owned company. But when you're negotiating with these companies, they have very, very deep pockets and deep ties to the government. So you're not necessarily dealing with a company that's just scraping by like a small business would normally do. Um, it would it would be on the same level as Walmart setting up at your local market and, and trying to compete with their prices. This is a massive, massive company that competes on a level with other small businesses. And therefore, it's an unlevel playing field. And that's one of the reasons why we're having so many struggles with this particular contract. We're not dealing with a true small business. Okay, so you mentioned the contract. Uh, are you under contract? We are still negotiating a contract. In fact, we are coming up for uh, another round uh, in the next 10 days or so. But we are currently under an imposed contract that happened in March of 2017. So we've been living under this imposed contract uh, that we obviously didn't agree to. And uh, in that imposed contract was a major, major concessionary bargaining. They took a lot away from these first responders. Now you're in the uh, National Labor Relations Act, right? You're not under the uh, Railway Labor Act, correct? No, we're under called the Nas National Labor Relations Act. Uh, which is also accompanied by the Service Contract Act, which helps provide some level of benefit to those employees as well. Okay. And so you said you've uh, been under an imposed contract since March of 2017. What's some of the terms they've imposed upon you? Uh, some of the terms they imposed was they eliminated 100% of the sick leave. Now, now imagine a fireman who works a 24-hour call uh, being sick and then not being afforded sick leave. And then also imagine a fireman that has maybe 80 or 90 hours sick leave, but they use it in 24-hour blocks. It doesn't take long to burn up 100 hours sick leave where, you know, a, an employee from another type of contract may have an eight-hour sick day. But when we call in sick or a fireman calls in sick, they use those up in 20-hour blocks. And that creates overtime. So under this proposed or imposed contract, the company took all of the sick leave away and provided them a little bit of personal time, but not enough to call in sick. So – these guys are really, really hampered right now. And the last thing you want to do is have a first responder who's sick. He has to come to work feeling ill. He's also spending 24 hours with other firemen that aren't feeling well. It's just a chain reaction and a, a series of bad decisions by the company. Wow. And I'm assuming you had pretty good sick uh, leave time prior to them taking all of it. Yeah. I mean, they got up to, I think, um, 10 shifts a year, which we had 120 hours, which that seems excessive. But when you're taking it in 20-hour blocks – that's six, six days um, where I would normally, in most of our other contracts, you may get six, eight, 10, 12 days of sick leave a year. Right. So when you say 120 hours, it seems excessive. But if you had to use it in 20-hour blocks, it's not really excessive. It's just enough to get by. Okay, and you mentioned overtime to cover sick leave. I mean, they do anything with your overtime? Yeah, most firemen are paid on a 24-hour basis. So when they show up for work and they're going to be on call for or at the station for 24 hours, they are paid for 24 hours. The company now took the last eight hours away from them and said, we're going to have you work your 16 hours. And when you go to sleep, we're going to not pay you for those eight hours. Now, if I had the option of, as a fireman to go home and sleep in my own bed, it's understandable. But I'm a captured employee at that point. I'm not allowed to leave work. I have to stay at work. I'm not with my family three out of the seven days a week. But yet you're not going to pay me to sleep away from my own home. So they took that away from them, and that was a, a pretty big blow to them. So just so I know, if you are a fireman and you are asleep, 
and a call goes off, you're obligated to take your uh, your sleep time that you're not getting paid for and re- no, uh, it, answer the call, yep. or is that your time? Yeah, if you do answer a call during your sleep time or what they consider to be your rest period, you you do get paid. If I get woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I go out on a call for a few, couple hours, I'm paid for that time. But at the same time, when I come back and return to the station, I've now have an interrupted sleep period, which is a difficult thing to do, especially if you have to work the next day. Um, so it, it's all, um, it's all been pretty traumatic to them losing this kind of, and, it, and it's a big wage decrease in, in a sense. You're normally working eight hours overtime or eight hours pay for those rest period. And now you're not. And firemen work, uh, in this particular group, um, with three different, uh, shifts. We have an A shift or a B shift and a C shift. That's roughly 120 shifts a year. So you take eight hours loss of pay 120 times during the year. It's a big concessionary piece for them. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a lot of concessions. Uh, any other concessions? Um, I think the biggest, although those two sound pretty substantial, uh, the biggest hit they took was in their retirement. Firemen aren't known for having longevity in their careers. Firemen are known for not being able to perform as uh, as they did when they were younger, and they typically have to retire sometimes in their early to mid-50s. And the retirement is such that they have to bridge that gap from when somebody would normally retire and in this instance, Chenega's best and final was to reduce their retirement by upwards of 80%, which 80, was 80, big, 80, 80%, 80%. Wow. So they want them firefighters to show up for work and have the equivalent of what everybody else gets, but yet they have the ability or the lack of the ability to stay past their 50s in their career. Some think it's an excessive amount that they get paid in their retirement. But most people get to work till they're 60, 62, 65. Um, most fire trucks rolling down the street in an emergency situation don't have 65-year-old firemen on it. And there's a reason for that. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, this is insane hearing this. Yeah. What else? Surely this is it. You've told me all the worst. You know, there can't be any more. No, I mean, that's the just of it. We have some, some things that we will always need to work on and tweak, as every contract does. But, you know, when, when, when you, you enter the fire services, you expect to retire as a fireman. And you don't want to have to look for a new career at 55 years old because you can no longer perform those emergency services that you did as a younger person. But now you've got to go out and seek a new job to get you to a, a normal retirement age because the company you've now worked for has reduced it so much you can't retire. And it's a travesty. It's an absolute travesty. Travesty is a good word for it. Um, so what about pay? I mean, are you, are you guys caught up? Is everything, I mean, you know, are there any issues with pay? Pay wasn't a big problem with that. We expected a wage increase, but for the, for the most part, we think the pay is in line with what normal uh, municipalities and other people get paid. They're, they're a little light compared to some, but uh, we weren't big on pushing that. We just wanted to make sure that the level of benefits they got as first responders just weren't taken away. We went into negotiations believing we're not going to set the world on fire, but we're certainly not going to have everything stripped from us. And, and as a first responder uh, in that uh, career, you want to you want to do it because it's in your blood, right? You, you become a fireman not because you want it as a career. It's in your blood to be a first responder. And then for somebody do you, do, that you work for not respect you enough to let you retire with some dignity, just it's, it's amazing to me. And I'm not a firefighter. I, I don't claim to be. I've never been a firefighter. But – Working with our firemen, I understand where they come from, and I couldn't imagine being treated how they're being treated. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I know that the first responders have a lot of support across the country, as they well should. Uh, we're going to put this show out. You know, we're going to get this to other first responders. And, you know, everyone needs to know what's going on down there. Uh, I know that, you know, when we talked earlier before the show, you mentioned something about you still owed some overtime wages or something. Can you talk a little bit about that also? Yeah, you know, uh, originally when we talked about the the, the uh, proposal where they stripped them from the eight hours a day working um, or not being paid for their rest period um, when they're when they're abused, that's been going on for about a year and a half now. So you are looking at most of those uh, first responders are owed over anywhere from twenty five to forty thousand dollars in retroactive back pay because of this this. Um, provision that the company has imposed on them and we are now scheduled to be in federal court matter of fact uh, i think we're in mediation on sometime in mid-june and we're we're hoping to be successful i I think we will be i think we have a great case now that that amount you mentioned that's per firefighter per firefighter so so what would the total of something like that be uh it could be upwards of three million dollars back pay for these first responders i mean they have been performing these services without pay and when they come in on overtime, if, if you were to come in on overtime on a Saturday and they were to tell you, we want you to work 12 hours and then we want you to go to bed, but we don't want you to leave. We want you to stay right here. We want you to be a captive employee. You can't go home. And while you're sleeping here, we're not paying you, but you can't go home to your family. And that's what's been happening for a little over a year and a half. And uh, we expect to uh, recoup those damages in this lawsuit. Well, hopefully you will. Uh, you know, obviously, from listening to what you're telling me, you know, Chenega is not being a very good corporate citizen. Uh, what's next? I mean, what's next for NASA? Is there anything new? Or I know you said you guys have been down there for 60 years. Hopefully you want to stay on the property. I mean, what's what's NASA got going on? Well, you know, NASA claims to be a neutral party. Um, they're, they're outside of negotiations and t- to to interfere in negotiations would be improper. And, and they claim to us that they have no discussions with the company about all these things that are going on, that all they've asked for this service or for this company is to provide a service. But I don't know that whether that's true or not. I mean, when you have such a drastic reduction in benefits and the levels in which these guys have had for years, somebody's calling that shot. And if it's NASA or whether it's company, we're not really sure because we can't get the true story. But the, the, the fact remains that manned spaceflight is coming back. And maybe in the next 12 to 15 months, we're going to have an astronaut in space. And these same firemen, these same first responders are going to be dedicated for pad rescue. And when something happens on that pad, they're the ones that are going to go up there and save the lives of somebody who may be in jeopardy. And to then turn around and take things from them that they have had. Remember, some of these firemen have been there for 30 years, 25 years, and at the end of your career to be stripped for all the things that you enjoy, it's, uh, it's criminal. And there's no reason why they can't pay. I mean, it, it, you've already stated, you know, that these are, it's a big corporation, obviously, and, you know, and NASA being what it is, there's no reason why these first responders can't be taken care of. Well, you know, I understand that, that uh, companies want to do things cheaper. They want to do things cheaper, faster, but services provided by a fire department isn't one that you do on the cheap. You don't, you don't take things from those that you expect to go into a place where people are running from. And, and uh, when something happens, 
and everybody's looking for an exit door, these same people are running in it. But now we're going to reduce their overtime. We're going to reduce their retirement. We're going to tell them they can't have sick leave, but yet we want you to come to work and be happy. And again, it's not just a regular fire department. This is NASA. This is an agency that every American is proud of. But now they're treating their first responders. And I'm not saying NASA. I am saying the company. This is Shenanigan Kennedy's problem. But NASA should help and do something about this. They shouldn't let it happen. What keeps Shenega there? Just the, they want the contract through the government or how does, how does that work? And, you know, will they always be there and speak a little bit about that? Yeah, they have won a multi-year contract with NASA to provide these services. And the company provides other services at the, at the center, not just fire protection. They have security services and, and other things. But if they don't perform to the level that they should, meaning the company, NASA has the right to come in and put them off the property and put that contract out for bid again. And that's a strong possibility. I mean, they are not performing at the level they need to be. They are not treating their labor as they should. And as these option years approach within their contract, which are normally every year, every September, October, NASA has the ability to reduce them, put them off the property, and bring in a new contractor. And that's, that's likely. It could happen. Well, it sounds like it should happen. I mean, if, you know, if they're not treating you well, one more thing that we talked about earlier, and uh, I don't believe we've touched on on this podcast, is you had mentioned something about the Shenega posted all the uh, jobs uh, positions on a website or something like that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, recently we were contacted by Shenega and said that they wanted to return to the table, and we we discussed the reasons they wanted to return to the table was because they were under the uh, the assumption that they may have to pay out a large sum of money to settle this lawsuit. And they told us we're going to come back and we're going to try to settle this lawsuit, and we're coming to the table in good faith. But yet we find out shortly after that agreement's come back to the table on the 20th of June, they have posted all of those positions, every position that we have on the Internet and on their website to fill those positions if for some reason we don't come to an agreement. So how do you come to the table in good faith by at the same time post those positions as being open? And that's exactly what they did. And that's just a, a poor choice by them. But uh, we can't stop them. But I think it's a poor choice on their part. So come to negotiations. We're going to hold this gun to your head. And you're going to uh, agree to what we say or your job's going to be gone. Correct. Because we're not under contract. As of right now, we're under an imposed contract. And the no strike, no lockout provision is in play. So if we were to go out on strike, they would have the ability to go out and, and put a team together to try to replace us. And we believe that's why they're posting those positions online. Well, I'll say the Transport Workers Union puts a team together to support you, and we reach out to all first responders, and we reach out to uh, politicians and local leaders, and we try to get you some help. I mean, this is just insane. This can't go. This can't happen. Well, I can tell you something like that would be most appreciated. You know, one thing about um, representing these firefighters, as I have for the past uh, 17 or 18 years, it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood and they take care of each other. And uh, I, I can't tell you how much it would feel to me if, if I heard from other agencies saying, we're not going to cross your line. We're not going to apply for your positions and we support you in keeping the things that we believe first responders should have. So yeah, I support that move hundred percent. Well, speaking of support, you know, let's go back to a tragic time of nine 11. Uh, I remember uh, your local put together some stuff for the uh, first responders in New York city. Can you yes. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we were fortunate. Um, 
to have a few of our uh, first responders at Kennedy Space Center who are just passionate about 9-11 and they think about it all the time. It, it just it's always in their mind. And at one point they wanted to uh, petition the uh, New York, New Jersey Port Authority for uh, an item from the World Trade Centers. And we were fortunate enough to get one in, in 2016. We uh, flew up to New York and we were able to bring back a piece of uh, the World Trade Center. And that is now currently residing in uh, the town in which um, our local sits. And uh, it's uh, it means a lot to us. Uh, we visit it all the time. We have a 9-11 ceremony every year. And those same firefighters that uh, we're talking about today are the ones that go out there and spend the time keeping that up. And uh, it's it's an honor to have you a part of it. So the brotherhood and sisterhood is not exclusive to, to the NASA firefighters. I mean, that's that's all across the U.S. You stand together, correct? No, there, there's no doubt. Firemen, they're, they're a different breed. And uh, it's nice to not, like I said, I'm not a first responder, but it's nice to be a part of a, an organization that takes care of itself. And just like in, there's, there's plenty of those out there, but it's just uh, it's refreshing. And they stick together. And I'm hoping they stick together here, too. Before we go, can you tell everybody uh, how, how they can access the uh, I know there's a, a, a video that was put together. Can you tell everyone how to get to the video so they can watch it? What we're talking about for the 9-11 Memorial? Mary Matthews with our um, international video, videographers, she did a wonderful job in kind of um, following us through that process as we obtained the beam and brought it back down. And she did what is now an award-winning video, and it's on the Internet. You can look at it on YouTube and find it. And if you type in the words TWU Memorial Beam, you will find a 17- or 18-minute award-winning video that uh, it alleviates tears. Uh, even talking about it now, the hair stands up on my back of my neck. It's a very, very powerful, powerful video. And uh, I encourage everybody to go and look at it. It's got a lot of views, but it's award-winning. And it, it kind of shows you the power of 9-11 and the fact that you didn't have to be a fireman in New York to be a part of it. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just it's a wonderful video. I encourage everybody to go see it. Well, and I've seen it, and you're right. It is extremely powerful, and you're right. It, it, it makes me tear up just to watch it. You know, but uh, going back to what we've been talking about for the whole show, you know, the brotherhood and the sisterhood and everything, you know, for the firefighters at NASA, obviously they care. They care about what's going on and they care about their brothers and brothers and sisters around the nation. And uh, we're going to get you some support before we go and end the call. Is there anything else that we haven't discussed that you'd like to speak about? No, you know, I think the only thing I wanted to say was uh, I wanted to thank the internationals IAC. And, and all of its uh, leadership and, and the support they have given these uh, first responders in the past couple of years. This has been a long journey for us, and we're nowhere near done. And the fight is just now beginning. But to know that there are others outside of our local and within the TW leadership, John Samerson and company, all of the IAC, they have been fantastic in giving me the support that we've needed. I'm looking forward to this fight. 525 in Ginnabup, easy. We're, we're a small local, but we're tough, and we're going to keep the fight. Well, I'll be right there with you, brother. You know that. I appreciate you joining us today, Kevin. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm so glad you gave me a call and uh, give us a chance to put our message out there. I appreciate it. Okay. And I want to thank everyone for listening today. Uh, be sure and tune in for the next Transport Workers Union Air Division podcast. Y'all have a great day. For more information about the TWU Air Division, visit our website at twu.org forward slash divisions. 
comment on this or any of our podcasts, email us at airdivisionpodcast at TWU.org. You can listen, download, and stream episodes of our Air Division podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, your favorite Android podcatcher, or your RSS feed-enabled browser. Air Division podcast episodes are also available to stream and download from our website, podcast.twu.org. Music provided under license by Pond5.com. TWU Air Division podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Engel.